are listening to Law and Gospel on this email Friday, August the 19th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at emails. The first email is actually in response to what Wes Reimnitz and I were talking about yesterday with the ELCA. Uh, that's the Elka Church. Uh, they're not really Lutheran because they no longer uh, believe the proper gospel, etc. And we're talking about the leadership of the ELCA because there are still many people in the ELCA that when they read the Bible, they believe what the Bible has to say. Well, one of the items that we brought up yesterday, a deaconess in the ELCA who was pretending to be a pastor she said from the pulpit that, yes, it's true that Jesus referred to God as his father, but we can use any pronouns we want at all. And I hadn't thought about this, but I got an email from Holly that really touches uh, what she was saying. She says, regarding the ELCA leader saying we could call God by any name or pronoun. In the woke culture, if you call someone by a different gender or pronoun, other than that person's preferred gender or pronouns, that person is offended and feels disrespected. If we believe the Bible is God's word, given by divine inspiration, it should be clear that God has given us his name, gender preference, and preferred pronouns. Anything else is offensive and disrespectful to him. That is really a good insight that I hadn't really thought about, and I appreciate her writing this, because in woke theology, and this is a problem that we're even having in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And it certainly is filled in the bad theology of the ELCA denomination. Uh, they really believe that their task is social ministry, to get rid of racism, to give property back to Indians that we have stolen to refer to people by the pronouns they want to have. For example, there's this woman who is born a woman, and she wants to be a man. So when she refers to her pronoun, she always says, you call me they or them, not he or she. And she's disrespected when you call her what she really is from God's point of view. So this is a really good insight by Holly that in woke theology, woke culture, social ministry is more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is so clear. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. There are two kingdoms that we exist in, the secular kingdom and, of course, the spiritual kingdom. And the spiritual kingdom is a 
course, the Holy Christian Church that believers exist in. And therefore, there are different kinds of understandings between the two. For example, in the secular kingdom, and that's in your national kingdom, you do have to suffer negative consequences for when you do something wrong. Like if you rob a bank, you may be going to jail. If you go over the speed limit, you may get a ticket. None of those things are forgiven by God in the secular kingdom. But in regard to the spiritual kingdom, God's forgiveness covers you so that on the day of judgment, you will be going to heaven if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of the works that you have done in your life. In other words, this is something we've been saying for some time on Law and Gospel. It really doesn't matter what works you do, because no work is going to send you to hell, even if it's a sin. And no good work is going to get you to heaven. Works simply are no longer the criteria by which God decides whether you go to heaven or hell. Because when you do a good work in God's eyes, it's called a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which occurs in what we refer to as sanctification. And in that sanctification, you are definitely doing fruit of the Holy Spirit, but can only be doing them after you are totally saved. So your works of sanctification are not the reason why you are saved. God recognizes them more than you can. And that's seen from the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. But they are not the cause of your salvation. They are the result of your salvation that God has given you. This is all contrary to woke theology, where people supposedly are to wake up to the social problems that they are causing and to correct them. And so in the ELCA and other such denominations, we're back to work righteousness rather than Christ righteousness. There, there are no confession of sins in the ELCA that God considers sins, such as the gay movement, uh, abortion, and other such things. Those things are left out because the dreams of the ELCA leadership have decided they no longer have to follow the Word of God. And they don't, especially in referring to God with the pronouns or the statements, or the titles that they want to use, rather than what Jesus used. So that's a great email to show us that in woke theology, you therefore are contradicting yourself if you want to use different pronouns than what Jesus used in referring to God the Father. Thanks so very much for that insightful email.
All right. The second email we received is entitled, Nine Reasons Why God Never Tries to Prove His Existence. This was an article written by Joseph Matera, M-A-T-T-E-R-A, and we appreciate receiving it. Here's what he says. God is self-authenticating. He never tries to prove his existence because it is evident through the created order. Since he is the only objective being, all other living and non-living objects emanate from his created word. Hence, all reasoning, which is different from God's, becomes circular and subjective. In Psalm 14, it says, the fool says there is no God. Now, in our study of Proverbs, we notice that Solomon, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, divides humanity into those who are saved. And that means they have the wisdom of Jesus Christ because they believe in him as their Savior versus those who believe in the Bible. And they are called foolish. They're fools because God is very, very obvious. There, there is no apologetic attempt to prove God's reality in the Bible. That means to use reason or common sense to prove God exists and that Jesus Christ is our Savior. The evidence for his existence is so overwhelming that the opening words of the first book of the Bible assumes his existence. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters, and Jesus in the third verse, created the light. Because according to John chapter 1, nothing was created that was not created by Jesus Christ. So, there are nine reasons why God never tries to prove his existence. Number one, God already put eternity in the heart of every human being. Every person is born with an innate sense of the existence of God and eternity. That's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Thus, from birth, every person is already intuitively aware that reality is much greater than what can be seen in the world. In, uh, in other words, God's existence is part of our creation, and yet people deny it. The Apostle Paul wrote that creation demonstrates his power and divine nature. That's Romans chapter 1. 19 to 22. The psalmist says 
that the heavens declare the glory of God. That's Psalm 19. In the same way, and this is why I like this article, because he uses analogies to help us understand what he's saying. The existence of an airplane proves the existence of a designer. The vast, unified, complex creation of the cosmos demonstrates the intelligent design of a supreme being. I tell you, if there's anything that's not intelligence, it's the doctrine of evolution. Evolution teaches that, of course, things came about from things that are visible, where the Bible is very clear in Hebrews that nothing was made from that which was visible. All things came from God himself. So, we already believe that, number one, the creation shows the existence of God, and number two, the evidence of design. I mean, nobody would ever say an airplane evolved from an apple or a horse. No, it was a creation of man put together with machinery, etc. The universe is much greater. I just can't believe that people think that monkeys came through evolution either from a fish or a reptile or something like that. And then from a monkey came a human being. No, there was death, therefore, according to evolution, prior to Adam and Eve coming on the scene, whereas the Bible says that death is the result of the sin of Adam and Eve. Number three reason, all humans already live in the matrix of God, and that's explained by Acts 17, verse 28. The Apostle Paul writes, In him we live and move and have our being. This statement says that time, space, and the whole universe exists inside the incomprehensible matrix of its creator. Proponents of the erroneous, erroneous teaching suggest that God cannot fully know the future, and they make the mistake of thinking that God is subservient to time and space. But God is the one who created time and space, and he knows the end from the beginning. That's in Isaiah chapter 46, 9 to 11. Therefore, thinking that God does not exist is as foolish as a fish not acknowledging the existence of the water in which they live. Number four, you have the testimony of multiple billions of people who encountered God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Since the dawn of human life, multitudes have claimed 
they encountered God and received guidance from him. That's clear from Adam and Eve. They would walk with God in the Garden of Eden during the daytime until they sinned and tried to hide from him. But as the Bible says in Hebrews, there is no place that God is not existence. From the birth of Christianity, countless billions of people have claimed they believe in Jesus' resurrection because the Holy Spirit came into their life and converted them. That Therefore, all these billions of people are either delusional because so much in the Bible is contrary to human reason, or they have really found the truth. And this writer says, count me as one who knows Jesus rose from the dead and that I have personally encountered God. Encountering God comes about when the Holy Spirit grants you faith to believe that Jesus Christ not only became a human being, but died on the cross for our sins. One of the great philosophical conundrums is trying to understand the nature of logic and human thought. If, as naturalists teach, and those are people who believe in this crazy doctrine of evolution, thoughts are merely the result of chemical reactions and impulses inside a physical brain. But how can a person visualize an elephant without it being physically presented between their ears? So thoughts are not merely the result of chemical reactions or our dreams, but instead are given to us by God. You cannot get up in the morning and stand on your legs without the power of God. Logic and reason are therefore contrary to Holy Scripture many times. It is something that coincides with what the Bible calls the spiritual world. Scripture says that God the Father is a spirit. This can explain how the invisible world can impact human thought and life, even though it is non-material and invisible. And that's according to John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, God the Spirit influences the material world through his immaterial word and essence, which would also explain why most people have an innate sense that God and the unseen realm is real. That's in John 6, verse 63. For example, take a look at how many different religions there are outside of Christianity, and they all have 
some kind of God. And they have invented that God because that God appears a lot like themselves with thoughts that they have rather than the thoughts of the God of the Bible. Number six, the reality of conscience. Do you realize how many people do something that they afterward feel guilty about? That shows the reality of the human spirit. Who gave us this immaterial spirit? And why does it have an intuitive sense of right and wrong? If you take a look at many other religions, they all have a sense of right and wrong. For example, most religions, including Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, etc., believe that it is wrong to steal. It is wrong to commit murder. It is wrong to cheat on your marriage. Where does this come from? Well, it comes from the conscience. Romans 2, 14 and 15. Romans 7, 21 to 25. Number seven, the reality of the spirit realm. Numerous ways depict the reality of the so-called paranormal world. Even television shows have wanted to capture images of what appear to be spiritual beings like angels. Many people have also experienced demon possession or have had a Christ follower like Jesus cast these disembodied spirits out of them. That shows the reality of God. Because the demons only fear and submit to the name of the Lord Jesus. If there are both good and bad spirits, there also must be a supreme spirit to which the unseen realm submits. Number eight, the existence of good and evil. It is not true that good and evil come from an individual's upbringing and culture. If this is true, how is it universally acknowledged in every tribe, culture, and nation that certain things are right, such as do good to people, and certain things are wrong, like stealing and killing? This transcendent sense of good and evil, or this knowledge of right and wrong, points to the Creator God, who gave moral laws to guide humans in their interpersonal relationships. That's part of the life of sanctification. Finally, number nine, take a look at the unity and the profundity of the Bible. The canonical books, composed of 66 of them, written by about 40 different authors over 1,600 years. This was done by P. 
people with various ethnic, educational, geographical, and economic backgrounds. Despite the diversity, its sacred writing has incredible unity, beauty, complexity, and profound truth that could not emanate merely from the mind of man. You can use the writings of Moses and then the writings of John in Revelation 1,600 years later to show that both writings have the same theme and the same teaching. Uh, The book of Proverbs we're looking at on Wednesdays is an excellent example of how what is found in there is found in a multitude of Bible verses. You also have the accuracy of the prophecies as found in the Bible and predictions regarding the coming of the Messiah. This shows the Bible is a divinely inspired work. It's no wonder that it's the best-selling book in the whole world that has dramatically changed the world fear of life. Finally, the greatest proof of the Bible is the impossibility of contrary. In other words, one would say it's not possible for somebody to be raised from the dead. And yet that occurred not only in the Old Testament, for example, by the prophet Elijah, but it occurred, of course, by the Messiah Jesus and his own resurrection from the dead. So the world cannot make any rational sense without understanding the biblical concepts regarding the origin of life, the fall of man, redemption, and our future life in heaven with Jesus forever. That's why God doesn't have to give evidence of his reality. It is so evident that he already exists. And that kind of thinking will be behind our teaching on Monday with another Bible passage. Until then, God Listen to bless Law & Gospel each you. weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.